0: I'm Ron Gitter, and this is Truth Be Told. One of the fond memories of growing up in the 60s was afternoons watching the reruns of the Situation comedies from the 50s front and center was Abbott and Costello, a slapstick duo constantly getting into jams of one sort or another. My favorite episode included the Niagara Falls bit, where Costello is locked in his cell with a disheveled crazy person who goes berserk at the mention of Niagara Falls, the site of his confrontation with his cheating spouse. Hit the Google for a few laughs. I mention all this as I have a Niagara Falls reaction whenever someone tells me they are about to make a bid on new construction. Why? Buying an apartment from a sponsor is a world apart from any other real estate transaction. It's as if developers transact business in a parallel universe, where the usual rules between buyer and seller just don't seem to apply. Although these transactions are, at least in theory, highly regulated and supervised by the Real Estate Division of the New York State Attorney General's Office, in many respects, the regulations actually serve unintentionally to protect developers from buyer dissatisfaction with the quality of construction, time frames for completing the building and the apartment, lousy management while the sponsor remains in control, and a host of other problems. So to give you a sense of exactly what you're getting yourself into when you wander into sponsor world, I've assembled a set of bullet points I'm calling the Dirty Dozen. But first, the basics. In order to sell apartments to the public, a developer must make application to the New York State Attorney General's office and submit numerous financial and engineering materials together with a disclosure document called an offering plan. That telephone-sized disclosure book, which can run 500 pages, can be divided into two main sections, boilerplate disclosures that appear in every offering plan, and specific details about the development in question. Depending upon a myriad of factors, the specific details can get quite complicated, quite long, and quite difficult to understand even for attorneys. That's not necessarily an accident. The offering plan started out as a way to communicate the details of a proposed sale of apartments to the public, but ironically has morphed into a firewall document which the developer hides behind to shield itself from liability to the public and from the regulators. Now, once the proverbial cat-and-mouse game between the AG's office and the developer's council is completed, which means working out the various disclosures and descriptions that the AG is requiring, The offering plan is approved some number of months later, and the marketing and selling of apartments begin. So let's do a little drill to see what I'm talking about, and let's use the current market conditions we are experiencing, that being out-of-control construction in just about every area of New York City, and astronomical pricing. Here we go. A buyer has an accepted offer on an apartment in a yet-to-be-constructed building. Shortly thereafter, either the on-site sales agent or the sponsor's counsel will send the purchase agreement and offering plan to the buyer's attorney with a deadline to return the signed document and the deposit. The buyer's attorney then has a short window of time, usually a week, and sometimes a shorter period, to review the telephone book and purchase agreement and to make such other inquiries as are appropriate. So, the rules of engagement are as follows. The buyer's attorney attempts to make changes to the purchase agreement. Comments are sent to the sponsor's counsel, the file often being handled by a young associate or by a paralegal, not always, but usually. The response of the sponsor's counsel to the requested changes in the purchase agreement can be summed up in one word, no. When market conditions favor the sponsor, there is very little that the sponsor will change in the proposed purchase agreement. That being said, as market conditions deteriorate, buyers do gain more leverage and changes to the document and concessions are possible. But in a strong market, not so much. Then there's the review of the offering plan. Offering plans can contain what folks in my business call gotchas. That is a tricky provision or imaginative languaging that gives a particular concept wiggle room down the road. Now, when a reviewing attorney locates a gotcha or other trapdoor in the offering plan and requests an explanation or clarification, there is usually a classic response from the sponsor's counsel. The plan speaks for itself. In other words, no matter how confusing the provision is, and even if the provision is contradictory of another provision or is just plain wrong, sponsor's counsel usually will not comment. Again, once the market shifts and a sponsor is sitting with a large inventory of unsold apartments and an enormous unpaid construction loan, cooperation seems to improve. And let's not forget the buyer, eagerly awaiting an update from his or her attorney, anxious to sign the purchase agreement before the sponsor has another pricing amendment, raising the price of the apartment yet again. In this pressurized environment, it becomes a challenge and in some respects impossible not only to summarize and explain a three or four hundred page technical disclosure instrument but to cut through the emotional fog that many buyers are living in when the fear of being outbid on an apartment looms large and so herewith are 12 bullet points to keep in mind whenever you are considering the purchase of an apartment that either has not yet been constructed or has only recently been completed. Number one, every offering plan recites that construction is a complicated process. In other words, stuff can go wrong despite the developer's good faith efforts to deliver a first class project. No matter how high quality the developer may be, until the building is completed and has an operating history of three to five years, there is no way to know whether there will be any serious construction defects that will need to be addressed, and who will be responsible for the payment for such remediation. Number two, every offering plan contains a section at the beginning of the book called Special Risks, which could also be titled, You Better Read This. In this section, the developer discloses all of the material pluses and minuses about the project, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These risk disclosures can go on for 15 or 20 pages, and often do. Every buyer should review the special risk section with his or her attorney to ensure that the buyer understands what he or she is getting into. Number three, Google the developer and all related parties. You will be surprised at what you find. Number four, in strong markets, developers do not offer financing contingencies you will be obligated to go forward, irrespective of whether you are able to obtain financing. In situations where your bank initially issues a commitment letter, but subsequently changes its mind, your deposit will be at risk unless you find another bank willing to make the loan. If the sponsor is embroiled in litigation or has other significant financial or construction problems, finding a new lender will be challenging. Number five. Under the heading, This Makes No Sense, sponsors require buyers to pay the New York City and New York State transfer taxes associated with the sale, a cost usually paid by the seller in transactions not involving a sponsor. This requirement adds an amount equal to approximately 2% of the purchase price to the buyer's closing costs. Sponsors also insist on the buyer paying the sponsor's legal fees which can run $2,500 and will no doubt go higher. Now, when the market softens up, sponsors often retreat and will actually pay their own closing costs. Number six. Here's the feature that I find most incredible. Sponsors are not obligated to deliver a completed apartment. They are permitted, thanks to Albany, to complete various punch list items after the closing, with no escrow or time frame for completion required. What constitutes a punch list item can vary significantly, and sometimes punch list items take months to complete, and sometimes punch list items never get fully completed or completed to the satisfaction of the buyer. I often recommend that the client have an architect handle the final inspection of the apartment and prepare the punch list. The average buyer does not have the skills to determine technical problems with the build-out, but an architect does. The architect will see imperfections that might otherwise go undetected. When the apartment has already been completed, consider having the architect inspect the apartment prior to signing the purchase agreement. Yes, it is an additional cost, but an inspection can alert a buyer to potential issues and can save big dollars down the road. Number seven, never move into an apartment before the closing. When you lease the apartment from the sponsor before closing, the risk of loss for damage to the apartment shifts to the purchaser. If there is a loss while you are in occupancy as a tenant, you may be liable for the damages, even if you were not responsible for the loss. Number eight, it is impossible to control when the closing will actually take place. When you factor in completing the construction and paperwork with the New York City Department of Buildings, delays in the actual closing date can go on for months. When you are buying an apartment that is not yet constructed, don't rely on the sponsor's estimate on when the apartment will be completed. Make sure that you have an alternative living space available if the apartment is not ready when promised. Number nine, as a condo owner, you will eventually get your own tax bill for your unit from New York City. The exact amount of the real estate taxes will not be known until New York City makes that determination many months after the apartment is first offered for sale. Accordingly, the real estate taxes disclosed in the plan are an estimate only and can be significantly higher once New York City issues the first tax bills. Number 10. Some developments come with tax abatements that can reduce or eliminate real estate taxes for many years. That's a great benefit, but remember, as the tax abatement winds down, and as the full tax is implemented, the cost of owning the apartment will increase dramatically. As the taxes increase, selling the apartment can become more difficult as well. Number 11. When a non-U.S. citizen buys an apartment, there are numerous foreign tax considerations, both in connection with the purchase and subsequently, When it's time to sell. If you are not a U.S. citizen, make sure that you have obtained appropriate tax advice before you sign the purchase agreement. And finally, number 12, most importantly, a buyer does not have a direct right to sue the developer based upon material errors and omissions contained in the offering plan. Only the New York State Attorney General has that right, and the AG only brings lawsuits for the most egregious misrepresentations, and troublesome behavior by a sponsor. A buyer is often limited to a contract claim based upon the purchase agreement, but as I hope you realize at this point, the sponsor and its counsel have made sure that there is very little room for litigation based upon that document. So be cautious out there. The glitzy marketing campaigns, high-end finishes and amenities, attractive salespeople, and the undeniable urge to get in on what's perceived as the ground floor can be quite intoxicating. That being said, a poorly executed construction project can inflict pain and expense for many years after the closing. Keep that in mind as you sashay through the open houses. That's all I have on this at the moment.